Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 8th. When others are speaking idly, don't be drawn into that light chatter. Be respectful, but remain somewhat apart, perhaps even silent. Idle chatter like radio static disturbs the perception of underlying realities. Now, it's, you know, it's a very serious suggestion he's making there. So many people just, I don't know what the word is, be they just... They spend their energy, but they don't get anything for spending it. Just we sort of people just wake up, they have a quota of energy to use for the day, and they just fritter it away and countless things that don't matter. And then when you go to sleep at night, you're no different than you were when you got up in the morning, except you're a day older. And and that's how incarnations pass, and that's why it takes us so many millions of lifetimes to realize God, is that people are just being entertained in this world and literally just passing the time. Um, and that's very common. That's what people do. And we do it until uh, several things happen. Um, we suffer because there's forces in the world that we can't control. There's um, group karma. There's national karma. There's planetary karma. You get caught in a world war. You get caught in a pandemic. Um, you get caught in an avalanche. Something happens. Your children die. You suffer. You begin to think... What is it for? What is all of this for? And then Yogananda in Autobiography of a Yogi has a, an amazing phrase in there where he says what really, um, what really moves us to think more deeply about life is that it all assumes a certain anguishing monotony. That's, I mean, those, those two words together, anguishing monotony. It's part of the, the wordsmithing of that is monotony you think of as just the opposite. Monotony just just goes on and on and it never changes and it's tiresome. But the idea that monotony could become actually anguishing is a very powerful, just a very powerful concept to meditate on. Because ultimately, even tragedy, um, even though it, it's heartbreaking, it's, it's not monotonous. It's like this: something has happened and everything has to be changed and there's this you know, this depth of feeling in us and this emergency to survive. And even, you know, a, a, a young mother is widowed and she has to take care of those children. Or, you know, a, a husband loses the love of his life and has to find another way to make life work. It's not monotonous. It may be overwhelming, but it's not monotonous. But interestingly, Master talks about the anguishing monotony is what really gets us. And the monotony is also oh my gosh, here we are again. Just here we are again. And whether or not that's conscious, whether or not we can actually remember all those incarnations, some part of us remembers. Some part of us knows that we're just in the same cycle again. Master said something extremely interesting. He said, the reason that a baby cries when it's born is because its incarnation begins in that first inhalation. You know, if a, if a baby is born, even if the baby looks perfect, until that baby of its own volition 
takes in that first breath, there's you know there's a panic in the in the delivery room if that's where the child's born because you don't know whether that life is really going to start. In actual terms, that's the beginning of the incarnation if you're looking at the astrological moment, that inhalation. And Master says the reason the baby cries is because it realizes here I am on the material plane again. Here I am with this physical body. And, you know, having been freed of the physical imperatives in the astral world, however consciously or unconsciously, all of a sudden I'm back in a physical body and here we go again. Childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, old age, sickness, death, and all of the disappointments and loss. So the child cries, oh my gosh, we've done it again. Our karma has compelled us to start. So there's a certain point and it, it just, nothing, nothing brings it on except our own actual experience. Other people can tell you about the nature of this world. They can tell you about anguishing monotony. They can tell you about tragedy. They can tell you it's a dog-eat-dog world. They can tell you all kinds of things. But we don't, we don't really, uh, we don't believe it unless it matches our own experience. But then there comes a certain point where we just can't stand another day of it. My, one of the very strong, well, I, would, I would call it the soul call that I sent out into the universe. I, I had been studying self-realization. I was even, by then I believe, reading the lives of the saints, trying to figure out how to make it my own teaching, but I hadn't yet met Swamiji. And I remember I was standing in this apartment that I was living in, in San Francisco, I think, at that point. And I was looking out at this little backyard area from the apartment window. And I just thought I I would get up in the morning. I would go to work. I had a decent job. I didn't have a profession. I just had a job. I had a job. I had friends. I had a pleasant place to live. You know, everything was fine. I would just get up. I would go to work. I would earn money so I could come home, so I could go grocery shopping so I could spend time with my friends, so I'd get up the next morning, so I could go to work, so I could earn money, so I could go grocery shop. It was just like, I didn't know the word anguishing monotony, but I thought, this can't be all there is. At that point, I was like about 22, maybe. And I was old enough to be grown up. I was out of school. I'd quit school. I was a grown up. There was no like, there was no like later. It was like this was it. And I just, I couldn't bear the thought that this was life. I just couldn't bear it. And I hadn't had any life yet. You know, I could have just been frivolous and enjoying myself and having fun and having expectations. None, zero. It was just too many incarnations imprinted in my spirit. And and I sent out a soul call into the universe unconsciously because I wasn't, I even though I was already studying, I, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't really know how to ask God but my soul just cried out. And very soon after that, I met Swami Kriyananda. And as soon as I met Swami Kriyananda, and I knew I could be, become his, his acolyte, his devotee, that he would teach me, and that I could live at Ananda, then the, the gates of, of, of heaven opened up, at least potentially, because now I had a reason. Now, what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the many stages of, of spiritual awakening that people go through. And what, whatever stage we're in, it seems natural to us. It just, 
because it is natural. I met this sadhu in a little, he was in a little kutir, a little cottage up in the Himalayas. He was at 12,000 feet above Badrinath. Badrinath is this exceedingly holy shrine in the Himalayas. And, and there were sadhus who lived there, and, he, and this man lived above Badrinath, so at even higher elevation. And he just talked to us. It was a small group of us who went to see him, a, a, a mutual, a, a, our tour guide knew him and took us there. I didn't, hadn't met him personally. I sat in his little kutir looking out the window at the, at the view of the Himalayas, and he just had this tiny place. This was his whole life. In Badrinath, when the snow comes, the snow is so deep, that everybody has to move down because everything is buried. Even the temple, they take the deity and they move the deity down to 7,000 feet to an alternate winter temple. And then when the snows melt, they come back up. But this sadhu, at least purportedly, did not leave when the snows came because he went and sat in this metal box so that the animals couldn't get to his body. He went into a, a state, high state of samadhi, and then went off to the Himalayas and spent those, that time with Babaji. The Babaji is the deathless Himalayan master described in Autobiography of a Yogi. He just told us all this. He told us through an interpreter, but he told us all this. And uh, it was just, the whole scene was just so remarkable. I was extremely, uh, uh, I was extremely moved by all of it. So later I was back at the city of Delhi, where Swami was living at the time, and Swami had heard about this Baba. Baba means father, this Baba. Um, and asked me, you know, what did I think? Did I think, what, did I think he was genuine? And I had to say to Swami, sir, I, I was, the whole thing was such an experience for me. Bhajrinath itself was such an experience. I couldn't parse it apart. But I proposed this as a, as a question mark as to whether he was authentic. I said, he talked about it so casually just, you know, going into that state of suspended animation physically, going in his astral body to be with Babaji. He just spoke about it so casually as if it were natural. And Swami's response was wonderful. Swami said, well, at a certain point it is. It's just perfectly natural to him. That he, wouldn't, he wouldn't say it in such a way that it would be unusual because that's simply where he lives. And in many ways for Swamiji that was more authenticating than not because he did just speak of it as if then we're going to have this for tea, and now I'm going to do that. So that, that stayed in my mind as an interesting thought. And then either on that same trip or some, I was, actually it must have been later, I happened to be, I was traveling in India and I was sharing Master's teachings and I was in Bangalore. And I was meeting this group of people that I was meeting for the first time. And they were asking me about my life, how did I meet Swami and so on. And I talked about how I met Swamiji and then very shortly after, I sold most of what I owned. I gave up every position and apartment and everything, and I just moved to Ananda to be with Swami. And it was very primitive conditions. First, I lived in a tent for a number of, for almost six months, I think, almost. And then uh, I just lived in a little trailer. I mean, it was just, and there was no money, no, no particular prospects. And the first thing they asked me, because they're from the Indian culture, what did your mother and father think about this? And I said, I'm American. I didn't ask them. <laughs> I just, and I had to even say, it didn't cross my mind to ask them. And I had to say even further, it wouldn't have mattered what they said. I was just going to do this. 
And I saw them sort of clucking among themselves. The idea that at such a young age I would do such a daring thing and, you know, that I didn't even care what my parents think. I didn't need my parents' support. And I could see that they were a little bit awed by it because now I'm talking to them 45 years later and I'm a Naya Swami and there's just, you know, all this uh, myth swirling around me as to use Swami Kriyananda's phrase, sort of the myth is swirling around you. But I realized it was perfectly natural to me. And I thought of that Baba. And I thought, if it's perfectly natural to you, it's perfectly natural to you, that's all. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like anything. It just feels like who I am. So I'm going to come back now to what I haven't even mentioned. When other people are chattering, just chattering idly, why would you want to spend your, your energy that way? Now, for some person, that could be an affectation or a judgment. But for others, it would just be, thank you very much. You know, you're wonderful people, but I'd rather just hold my energy into myself. And this is how, how he puts it, you know, just don't, don't radio, it's radio static that just distracts you from what we're really trying to do in our lives. And you say that to three quarters of the people on the planet, they don't even know what you're talking about. But if you know what you're talking about, if you know that you were born in this incarnation for something else, have the nerve to, to be yourself. And Swami's suggestion is a very nice one, just be silent. I, it was very, has been very interesting to me because I, I naturally put my thoughts into words and I have a natural incarnation, inclination to articulate them. It makes me think that you have to participate with words. But I have paid attention to people who don't talk a lot. And I just realized you can just sit there and not talk. Now you can sit there and not talk kind of staring out the window aloofly with an obvious look of boredom or superiority. That's one thing. Or you can simply not talk. You can just be, you can even be completely present because you can always love God in other people. There's never an opportunity when you don't have the chance to do something good with your own consciousness. You don't have to listen to what they're saying, but you can love them for, for existing, for being children of God, for being there and having whatever qualities of goodness or lack of goodness they have. You can be present, but you don't have to participate. And you can do japa, or you can pray for the people around you. And just keep the static out of your own consciousness, if that is natural to you. If that is really who you are, or who you almost are, and who you aspire to be. I speak from having just turned 73, an incarnation is very short. Don't waste it. Don't find yourself at the end of your life just looking as if you just took your life force and just let it run through like holes in a bucket. You want to be somewhere. You want to have something. You want to have done something with your life. It doesn't have to show, but at least inwardly. And this this little trick of Swamiji's. Pay attention. When others are speaking idly, don't be drawn into their light chatter. Be respectful, but remain somewhat apart, perhaps even silent. Idle chatter, like radio static, disturbs the perception of underlying realities. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.